Justin, and I lead the teen ministry here in Santa Clarita. Excited to be speaking to you today. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving as well. I know I did. I actually went up to Big Bear, and uh, I, luckily I married into this, but Jill's grandfather has a, has a house right on the lake, so it's awesome. Um, and all we do, and, and my favorite part of this vacation is we do nothing. You know, other vacations, you go places and maybe amusement parks. Not this one. You just do nothing. Uh, we, tried to, we attempted a 1,500-piece jigsaw puzzle. Quite unsuccessful. Uh, but, you know, just read a lot and, you know, had some great time with God. That's totally how I relax. And uh, not so much for Jill, but for me it is. Um, but on, on one of these, uh, these days that we're up there, went to a place called Grizzly Bear Manor. I'm not sure if you've ever been to Big Bear, but if you go, this, go to this place, Grizzly Bear Manor. It's a, it's a little house that they converted into a restaurant. And uh, the guy who's taking our order is also the owner and the cook. It's one of those kind of places. And, um, and I don't really care what I eat. When I go out to eat, usually Joe, Joe just kind of like, hey, you know, whatever's fine. And, uh, but this time I decided to open up my menu on my own. And uh, I looked down, and there's this thing on the menu. It was called The Mess. And underneath, the description was, don't ask. So I said, hey, I don't really care what I eat. This might be a good option. So I just said, I'm ordering the mess. Yeah, so uh, then, then the guy proceeded to ask me, do you like mushrooms? I said, yeah, I like everything. Then he said, do you like jalapenos? I said, not so much. <laughs> then he said, okay, sister. And I was degraded from there. But anyways, I ordered this mess, and when it came out, people, uh, he said, the mess. And, you know, people actually turned around and were like, whoa, because I'm sure they read it too, and I was bold enough to get it. But uh, then, then I'm, I'm now eating this, literally a mess for breakfast, hash browns, eggs, you know, tons of mushrooms, it, it, you know, just like chopped ham, and it was delicious. But it was also just the mess, you know, and it was just, it was just ugly, and it was nasty, and, but, you know, I, I attempted to eat the entire thing, again, unsuccessful, um, but have you guys ever heard of this, this phrase, you know, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade? Okay, this is a pretty common phrase. I actually think that we can order our own food in a way. I think that we can order things in life and end up getting stuck with it, like the mess that I ordered. You know, there are other options out there, healthy options, but I, I did not choose those. And then I, I sat there wondering, how did I get here? How, how and why? Should have let Joe order. But anyways, I think that we can do that. Don't we do this? Don't we make bad decisions? Don't we order up the wrong thing and he just sits there and now we have to deal with it in life? I'm not talking about food anymore. Stop thinking about the mess. Maybe a personal, a spiritual financial mess, if you will, that you've ordered up in your life. See, life throws you lemons, yeah, but 
But this is something different. It's when you order this. You make the decision. Like I said, maybe it's financial. Maybe you're in a ton of debt. And you're like, whoa, how did I get here? Well, you made a couple decisions to put you there. Maybe it's a certain addiction that you have. Maybe it's crazy stuff like adultery. Maybe it's bad relationships that you have with your father or mom or dad. Maybe it's sexual sin, a bad reputation that you're just known for certain things. Maybe last night, this, week, this past week, or this month, what certain decisions, what mess have you ordered up in your life? Because I think we do this a lot. And I want you to think about those things. And if you haven't ordered up any mess recently, great. But chances are you will. You will find yourself looking at something that, how did I get here? How am I in this situation? And today's title, and I, I purposely didn't, didn't give it earlier, is what's your order? Because I think we can order up some pretty crazy things. So let's look at a guy who actually did this, was very unsuccessful in some situations. Turn to Second Samuel chapter 11. And we are going to read about David. And uh, if you know, just give you some background, if you don't know who this guy is, his name's David. He was uh, a king who came after Saul. And uh, Saul was a pretty bad dude. Started off good, became bad. But then David came along, was God's anointed. And he, sl- he slew David, or he slew Goliath, you know, with a slingshot, if you, if you can remember little stories of growing up. He led armies to great victory. He was a man after God's own heart. David was awesome. He was chosen to lead God's people. He was their king. But he ordered up a good mess for himself. Chapter 11 and verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Now, I want you, usually we kind of just blow through the first verse of what we're reading, but it says, In the spring, at the time when kings normally go off to war, David didn't. He was hanging out back at home. And that's important to remember because he should have been doing something like working for God or leading an army, but he wasn't doing that. He was doing something else. So verse 2, it says, One evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanness. Then she went back, back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. All right. So David didn't really start off that bad, right? I mean, he's, he's just hanging out on the roof. Maybe he got a midnight snack or whatever, but he's just hanging out. And then he notices something. Man, there's a, there's a lady. She's bathing up there. Maybe he already knew what he was going to find, and that's why he went up. I mean, I imagine his uh, palace was bigger than all the homes over there, and he saw this woman bathing, but he didn't stop there. 
he went a little further. He asked about her. He inquired of her, what's going on with this woman? Oh, she's married. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Bring her here. And he sleeps with her. And then he, he impregnates her. Okay, we only read like five, five verses right there. He ordered up a really bad decision, a really bad order, in just five, five little verses. And this is where we, where we are. So let's, let's keep reading to see how, how he deals with this, okay? Verse 6. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was and how the soldiers were and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. When David was told Uriah did not go home, he asked him, haven't you just come from a distance? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark of Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my master Joab and the Lord's men are camped in open fields. How could I, how could I go home to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, stay here one more day, and tomorrow I, I, will, I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem the day that day and the next, and David's invitation, at David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the morning, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. Okay, so in order to fix this mess that he created, David is sitting here. He's going to have a child with someone that's not his wife. He decides to bring Uriah back and have him sleep with his own wife to make it look like Uriah, that was his kid. But Uriah didn't do that, did he? No, Uriah was a righteous man. He said, no, the Ark of the Covenant, where God was supposed to be, was at the battle. He said, how can I go home and sleep with my wife and enjoy and eat and all that stuff when God is out there? When my men are, are sleeping in open fields, I can't go. So David tries again. This time he gets him drunk so that he can, you know, go and sleep with his wife this time. Surely that will work, right? No, it doesn't work. So in order to cover up his sin, he uses more sin. Don't we do that? Don't we mess up and, and look at the situation? Man, how can I do this? How can I live with this? What? What am I supposed to do? Oh, you know what? Let's add some more sin to it because that's going to help. We don't really think about that in the moment. This is what we do. In order to cover up this sin, hey, you know what? Let's lie about it. Let's hide it. Or maybe we're addicted and we can't. We feel like we can't stop, so we keep doing it. This is what David was doing. This is where he was at. David was trying to cover up his tracks. Verse 14, it says, In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab, this is the guy who's leading the army, and sent it with Uriah. In it he wrote, Put Uriah in the front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a, at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. 
When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. All right, so he tried to get him drunk, didn't work out. So his plan is, let's kill Uriah so that way it'll all be good. He sends him to the, you know, the front of the army, and they all step back a little bit, and he gets struck down and dies. That's his plan. That's his genius plan to fix his mess. I don't think it was a great plan at all. David tried to cover up his tracks. You know, sometimes when we mess up, we try to cover up, don't we? Um, for, my, uh, for my son, I'm not sure if you, you know him. He's, his name is Jake. He's a toddler. I live with the toddler at home. But uh, there's certain things about toddlers, and I'm finding this out right now. Um, we're trying to potty train him, and that's not going so great at the moment. Um, but sometimes, you know, he, he does really well, and other times he doesn't. But uh, I, I'm going to call him Jake the Sneaky Pooper, because what he does is, like, we'll, we'll be eating dinner or something like that, and then he'll be watching TV, and then he'll go, oh, and he just runs. He runs away, and he goes into his closet or behind the couch, and we just know what's going on. Like, hey, hey, dude, not cool. Um, you know, and then we, we, you know, there's the smell. And anyways, if you don't have a toddler, if you did, you feel my pain. But uh, he tries to hide because he's, he's figured out. I'm not sure if it's in us, to, like genetically, like we know that this is not, this is a shameful thing. We don't want everyone seeing us, you know. Even when he's on the potty, he asks, he's, Daddy, Daddy, uh, you leave me, please. Okay. I, I get that. I don't want, you know. This is just genetic. We know that there's something shameful about this. But I think we do this too with our sin. When we mess up, we know that something's going on. We want to hide it from everyone because it's shameful. We don't want anyone looking at us. We don't want them seeing what we're doing. We don't want them knowing what we think because we're ashamed. We're scared. What would, what would people think of me if they knew the real me? Don't we do this with our mess-ups? Don't we cover up? Except you can't hide from everyone. In verse 26, it says, When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. The thing David had done displeased the Lord. See, God knew the entire time. He was displeased. Man, he messed up. He messed up big time. He was very displeased. See, in the entire time, Jake thinks he's sneaking away. I know what's going on. I'm a dad. God's the, same, God's the same way. He knows what we're trying to hide. And he sees it. In the same way he sees David here. He's displeased with the action, with the course that he's going. Hebrews 4, verse 13, just, just listen. It says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes to him who we must give an account. 
today, I want you to ask yourselves, what have you been hiding? What are you keeping secret? What are you not telling your spouse? What are you not telling your parents? What's in there so deeply that you don't even want to think about it again because of what you've done? Now, if you're thinking of these things, or if you're thinking of certain things in your life right now, good. Don't try to redirect your thoughts to a happy place. No, this is, this is a good thing. You need to think about these things. And you need to address them. You need to confront them. There's no way to just cover it up because eventually it will get exposed. God knows anyway. He knows exactly what you've been doing. He knows exactly what you've, you've been thinking. He knows the mess that you ordered up. But God, he, he does this again and again. The Old Testament and the New Testament, he is the constant hero. He wants you to turn to him. Just I appreciate Angie sharing at communion. It's You know, she got married to a great guy, Robbie, my best friend. But Robbie can't figure everything out. That's right. He can't solve her. He can't fix her to the very core. Now, there's a special place, and there's a special person for that, and that's God. And God wants you to turn to him. He constantly does this. If you haven't figured out, this is a cycle. Okay, you mess up. Oh, okay, I turn to God. If you haven't gone to God with your mess, what do you think about that? Think about that mess. Focus on it as we talk today. David, he was in a heap of mess. Luckily, he had somebody to pull him out, though. Okay? Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. It says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. Now, this is interesting because it wasn't like David was looking for Nathan at this time. Nathan was a prophet. So, let's begin again. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said... There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from keep, uh, taking one of his own sheep and cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against that man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You, you are that man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you, and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if all that had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why do you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Luckily, David had somebody in his life. Luckily, I mean, David wasn't looking for someone, but, you know, God intervened and said, you know, I'm putting somebody in your life. You need somebody. 
Maybe that's maybe you're thinking about someone right now that maybe you weren't really looking for a friend to tell you the truth, but they're in your life anyway. Maybe they're your Nathan. Do you have someone like that in your life? You know, recently I spent some time with, again, I'll mention Robbie. Him and I had a, just hanging out over his, his new place. Um, and uh, we're sitting down and having a, having a deep conversation. You know, we, we've, we've been friends since I was 10 years old or 11 years old. And uh, most of the friendship, you know, the beginning years were, were not so deep. Uh, just kind of hanging out and goofing around. Um, but, we, you know, we just, there's almost no time for that. And we just get together and we just want to talk. It's weird, you know, we're two grown men and we have lives and we just like, let, let's talk about each other's life. And, uh, you know, I begin to, to be open with a, with a mess up in my life. Something that I, I was keeping to myself and, you know, to maybe one or two other people. And I didn't want to share it with Rob. I felt, the, you know what, because at the time, my mess up, he was trying to get married, right? He was going through all this, you know, engagement process, and I was supposed to, I'm the best man. So I don't want to mess that up. I, I needed to be strong for him, that's what I told myself. I need to help him out. I need be, to, to be, you know, a model example. Except in my own life, I had some issues. I had some mess up. And, you know, I was trying to keep that from one of my closest friends. You know, and I told him, and he was very gracious with me. But at the same time, he said, you know what, Felix? You know, there's, there's a hint of pride there. And you keeping this from our friendship robs it of intimacy. And that, that, that hurt. He didn't have to shout it. He didn't have to re- rebuke me, but it hurt me. I felt like, you know what, man, I've been keeping something from my best friend, and you know what, he's, he's calling me to a higher standard. Do you have a Nathan in your life? Do you have someone who is going to guide you back on the right path? Someone who is going to redirect where your life is, this mess that you created for yourself? Is someone going to say that to you? Or, maybe a better question is, are you willing to hear it? Are you ready to hear it? You know, I was trying to, to, to relate this to a younger crowd as well. So I developed a challenge this morning, okay? And uh, it's, it's a text challenge. So you can use your phones, all right? Turn them off or turn, turn them on silent, I mean, um, because you're, you're going to get a text in just a little bit. But uh, the text challenge is I want you to put this in the message box for your text. If you don't know what text is, don't worry about that. It's okay. If you have a flip phone, just put it away. Okay? Don't, be, don't embarrass yourself. It's okay. I'm just, ki- I'm just kidding. If you know how to text, that's fine. I'm just messing around. Uh, so put this in the, uh, in the subject line. I just want to let you know that you are my Nathan. And if you're really bold, you'll attach this at, at, at the back end. It'll say, I have something to talk to you about. And now, put your friend, your Nathan, into the sent and send it. Now, if you guys are bold enough, you'll do it. Or, 
If you don't have text or don't know how to text, just write on a piece of paper and give it to somebody. see a lot of people looking at me. I don't know, text. So uh, just do that. Because you know what? I think we are sometimes afraid. Afraid to really tell people what's going on. I think David was lucky enough to have somebody intervene in his life and say, you know what, I'm your Nathan. I'm going to help you out in this situation. Not all of us have that right now. Maybe it's a question for yourself. Do you have a Nathan? Is anybody in your life? Who can I send this to? I'm just writing a text to nobody. I got no friends. You know what? You're at the right place. There's plenty of people here that want to help you. There's plenty of people here that that are looking for those opportunities. And I appreciate Robbie. That's what the thing he said. He said, I will jump at the chance to help you with anything in your life. Ah, I felt like crying. Because I know that I have a true friend that is, that, that's true. Whatever problem I have, I, I have somebody to help me with it. Now, we have a room full of people here that can be your friend, that can be your Nathan, that can call you higher. And you know what? I think that a lot of us, we also need to be that same way. We need to be a Nathan to other people. We need to call each other higher and stop just listening to the, you know, just the regular talk, you know, football talk, basketball talk, baseball talk, kid talk, school talk, work talk. You know, that's all meaningless. Let's get real with each other. Don't rob each other of that true intimacy and friendship. Because all that stuff, you know, it's, it's going to change from week to week. But what's really going on inside, we need to really figure that out. Amen? All right, let's, uh, let's move on. Chapter 12, verse 11. It says, This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity upon you. Before your eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did this in secret, but I am doing this in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, actually, what he really did, he said that, but there's a time in Psalm 51, if you want to go ahead and read that another time, he pours out his heart to God. He is broken. Now, it's a very small line here, but David knows exactly what he did. There was a brokenness. There was a, there was a sorrow that he felt, and he cries out to God. Psalm 51 is awesome. I want to challenge you to read that. Because that's, it's, it's an appropriate response to what we do when we sin. When we mess up, when we have this, this pile of stuff in front of us, what do we do? We take it to God. First, talk to somebody about it. You don't have to do it in that order. You can, kind of, you can cry out to God or talk to people about it. It doesn't matter. But you need to do, you need to do both. And David, he's, he's sitting there in Psalm 51. He's crying out to God. Forget for forgiveness, he's praising him, he's worshiping him, and he's crying out. But verse 13, we'll go back. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. There's a consequence for a sin. Now God loves David and God God is going to care for him. That's 
going to be forever. But there's a consequence for what he did. Now, just because you have this mess up and you want to cry out to God, and you want to confess and all that stuff, there's still a lot of pieces that you have to, to pick up. There's consequences that, that will go maybe forever in your life because of what you've done. That, that's not going to change. God's love for you is not going to change either, though. Okay? Verse 15, After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and the child became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and went into his house and spent the nights lying on the ground. The elders of his house stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. So it was very unfortunate. But the sin that he committed, one of the consequences was that the child is going to die. And another consequence was there's going to be no peace in your kingdom. There's going to always be this turmoil, this war. The sword is never going to leave your kingdom. And then another thing that he said, he said he'll raise up somebody within your own house to come and take your wives. You know, just how you took someone else's wife, I'm going to raise up. And if you read and know the story, he raised up his own son, Absalom, to come and sleep and take over his kingdom for for a short period of time. And you know what his son did? He slept with all his wives, not all of them, majority of them. He slept with them at the top of the palace, right where it all began. Right where David was walking around, he saw Bathsheba, he slept with them there. To show the whole city, this is what I'm going to do. Imagine the disgrace, the humiliation David must feel. Imagine his wives feeling that way as well. The consequence for his sin are, are, are dramatic. The consequence for, for a mess up, yeah, they're, they're, they're big. And we have to deal with, with those too. The point is, it's not going to be easy just because you turn yourself in. But the thing he did was he went to God. He was broken. He felt sorrow. And he turned it to the right place. And Nathan was there to help him out. You know, for me, I, like I said, I was, I was in, involved in some, some mess up there with, uh, that I shared with Robbie. But uh, the thing I, I noticed that this year, my relationship with God has kind of started, wasn't as great. I was reflecting on it, and I, I wasn't really giving my heart all to God in my prayer times, in my times in the morning. Back in 2011, I, I told some of you, I actually, I actually preached about it, but uh, I was blogging or writing out my prayers pretty much all of 2011. So when all this stuff happened, I returned to that because I was like, you know what, I need to go back to God. I need to go back to him in this way. For, for some reason, for me, this is really important. Now, a lot of us read the Psalms, and we, we like them, and they kind of make us feel good and all that stuff. But I think the Psalms were written for us as an example. This is how to have a relationship with God. This is how to pour your heart out. Sometimes you read it, and you're like, is this, is this right to feel angry like this to God? It's almost like he's angry or, or mad or put it all out there. This is exactly how to have a relationship with God. So another challenge I have for you, not texting, but I want you to go home, and I want you to write out a prayer and put everything down. Maybe you say, I've never prayed before. That's okay. Just write a letter. And just put God's name at the top. 
Because there's something about the written word. And David knew it. He had an intense relationship with God and and a great relationship with God. But he he always wrote. He was writing down how he really felt. If you haven't done that, or if this is not something you regularly do, I'm going to challenge you to do it. The things that you will see, the things that the connections that you can make after writing, after uh, you know a very short period of time, you can always go back to that and say, "Wow, God has either answered some prayers, or God has really dealt with the sin in my life, or He's dealt with this mess up." I can turn back and look at that. I can read it later. Maybe you want to write it, and you don't want anybody to see it. Go ahead, throw in trash. But there's something about the written word, putting it out there. And if you're like me, if you just pray just in the morning, sometimes you hear like a motorcycle go by and, oh, cool, motorcycle. There's the end of my prayer. That's just me. It's really hard for me to focus. So like writing my prayers is another good way to, it's a very practical way to have a relationship with God. So he did that. So what do we do next? What, what, What did David do next? Okay, after he poured himself out, after he has a good talking to you with Nathan, what next? Maybe you're thinking about this. What, okay, what next for me? What do I do? Chapter 12, verse 26. Actually, we'll read verse 24. It said, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. This is after the child died. And he went to her and lay with her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him, and because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan and the prophet to name him Jedidiah. Meanwhile, Joab fought against Rabbah of the Ammonites and captured the royal citadel. Joab had sent messengers to David, saying, I have fought against Rabbah and taken its water supply. Now muster the rest of the troops and besiege the city and capture it. Otherwise, I will take the city, and it will be named after me. Okay, do you remember David was hanging out, not at war, and got Bathsheba pregnant and all this stuff? Guess what? He's still not at war. He's still at home. And Joab, the leader of the army, is going out and he's fighting. And he's, he's taking this city almost to the point of being captured. And he says, you know, if you don't come out here, I'm going to name the city after me. This is going to be my thing. Because you had no part in this. It's almost a call to repentance. Now, okay, you, you figured out you messed up. You're getting situated. Okay, go back to work. What do we do now? We move on. Don't hang out in guilt you know, this zone. Don't feel bad forever. Yeah, you messed up. You ordered this thing for yourself. You ate it. You feel guilty. Now move on. We call the repentance. Go back to work. Go back to work for God. Be used in a great way. Be powerful again. Be the king that you need to be, David. In some ways, I think this is what it's saying to us. Go back to work for God. Be a spiritual man or woman for him. Be his daughter. Be his son again. And if this has never happened to you, this is a call for you to be that. Go to work for God. Let's move on. Let's not hang out in this this guilty, shameful zone because you know what it produces? Nothing. If staying there, you're just going to die spiritually. Because you will not be able to progress. You will not be able to move on past this stuff. you got to get over it. Move on. Deal with it, but then move on. And this is what David does. So, verse 29. So David mustered the entire army and went to Rabbah and attacked and captured it. He took the crown from the head of the king 
Its weight was a talent of gold, and it was set with precious stones, and it was placed on David's head. He took a great quantity of plunder from the city and brought out the people who were there, consigning them to labor with saws and with iron picks and axes, and he made them work at brick-making. He did this all to the Ammonite towns. Then David and his entire army returned to Jerusalem. You know what? He went back to work, and he was good at it. David was an awesome warrior. He, he, you know, he, he took over the, that kingdom. He grabbed that crown. He put it on his own head. He was like, yeah, this is my city now, Joab. Punk. He moved on. He had a son with Bathsheba who became Solomon, the next king. So even though he had this you know, affair, this really bad relationship, God still worked through it. He had another son who is now in the line for Jesus. God's amazing. He can do way more than what you think, way more than what you can imagine. You think just because you messed up, that's the end? That's the end of the story? No. God has greater plans. He wants to bring you back. He wants to raise you up. And God, God made David so victorious. Now, those, those other consequences still, yeah, but, but he moved on. And he had a great life. He had a working relationship. So this lesson is all about when you mess up. When you have this mess in front of you, what do you do? You confess. Don't cover up. Don't be a, don't be a Jake. Talk to your Nathan. Cry out to God. Be broken. Take that psalm challenge. And then third, move on. Don't live in that guilt zone. Let's be the men and women that God wants us to be. Amen.